0: It was about this time, just when decolonisation began in the mid-20th century, that this practice of concentrating on Western-only literature began to crumble, challenged by a combination of wide-ranging talent and publishing acumen in a context of political and cultural flux
1: a huge wave of decolonizations in the colonial world, not so much Latin America, which had been decolonized 100 years earlier, but the Anglophone, Francophone, and then lusophone worlds, uh, where the period of decolonization runs from, let's say, 1947 in the Indian case through to well, the 90s in Namibia, or 80s in Namibia, South Africa, etc. And I think that the interest follows from that. There was also, of course, a a nationalist elite, often a a Western-educated nationalist elite, which attempted to write about these processes and began publishing their works, often through colonial branches of big presses, Heinemann, Oxford, etc., and began to come to the attention of a Western reading public, I would say, at the end of the... 50s, probably, in the case of somebody like Chinua Achebe of Nigeria, but also the 50s in the case of the Caribbean uh, writers. Uh, there had been a, a big moment known as a renaissance or an awakening in Caribbean writing in the 1930s, but it was really the generation of the 50s, say Naipaul, um, Lamming, Selvon particularly, based at that time in the UK, the three of them, but writing of the Caribbean. And there was a particular sense in which the notion of a West Indian writing got consolidated in Britain through presses like Allison and Busby and Longman and so on Faber and Faber and so that was very much a product of the late 50s and early 60s In
0: 1982 the University of Birmingham Centre for Cultural Studies published a groundbreakingly important collection of essays called The Empire Strikes Back and in turn that inspired post-colonial criticism under a kind of umbrella of The Empire Writes Back drawing attention to writers from around the world who chose to write in English, even if it wasn't their first language. Professor Terry Eagleton.
2: That's to say that rather than English literature being confined to the original island of Britain, it's been globalised, and therefore we think about Caribbean and Indian and African English. And it's, it's almost a cliché, isn't it, to say that the most lively and interesting "'Writing comes from those indeterminate, "'those ambiguous zones in between different countries "'or different cultures, language which sort of faces both ways.'
3: "'Well,' I said, "'Show me the rest then, Gilbert.' "'The man just stared. "'Show me the rest now. I am tired from the long journey.' "'He scratched his head. "'The other rooms, Gilbert, "'the ones you're busy making so nice for me "'you forget to come to the dock.' Gilbert spoke so softly I could hardly hear. He said, But this is it. I am sorry, I said. This is it, Hortense. This is the room I am living. Just this. I had to sit on the bed. My legs gave way. There was no bounce underneath me as I fell. Just this. This is where you are living. Just this.
0: Andrea Levy reading from her 2004 award-winning novel, Small Island. Andrea Levy is second-generation Caribbean. Her parents, having been on the famous Empire Windrush, arriving in Tilbury in 1948 from Kingston, Jamaica, to start a new life in the UK. That journey of migration, made by her parents and so many others, inspired Levy to write.
3: When I started writing, I only carried on because I thought, wow, I've got a story to tell here. I've got something to really explore. And that was the relationship between the Caribbean and Britain and the British Empire and actually what happened. And and it felt like that those voices from the Caribbean were stifled and not really heard and i still feel that and i still feel that we've got a lot of the history between the caribbean and britain is so unpleasant that we can't look at it and because we don't look at it because we don't acknowledge it as much as we should i think it's a a still a very sore and open wound for
0: andrea levy the key to bringing her novels to life is to get the voices of her characters just right making them sound real to the point that she reads the dialogue out loud before committing it to the page.
3: I have to hear it and the rhythms and everything, and so I have a Jamaican accent, you know, which my mum has always said, where do you get that accent from? So it's important to make sure that that sort of English is in there. I couldn't write sort of standard English if you were going to have a Jamaican talking.
0: Now a successful novelist, Marina Levitska's first language was not English. She was born of Ukrainian parents in a refugee camp in Germany in 1946, before settling in England as a very young child. Levitska remembers that there were advantages to growing up surrounded by relatives who used, and, according to her, abused English in many different ways, perhaps by adding the wrong ending to a word or by using verbs as nouns, for example. It gave Levitska the confidence to replicate this practice in her writing, but certainly not in the early days of her career.
4: That's really what held me back as a writer for very many years, I think, because I had this idea that to be a writer, you really had to be... You kind of had to sound like George Eliot or Jane Austen. And I hadn't really realised the playful nature of the language and hadn't really got the confidence to play with it myself. Because when you're on the outside looking in, you become very, very observant. And all I wanted through my childhood was to be like the other kids. And I was so embarrassed that my family ate funny food and talked in this funny way and wore weird clothes. And my parents sent me to school with my hair in plaits when no other child had plaits. And that was all so humiliating and shameful that it really made me want to be like the other kids, and so I learned and I watched and I studied and I picked up the habits of language, but also just the details of how they were, which is a very, very good training for a writer. I didn't realise it at the time, of course. I just wanted to be like everybody else.
0: Marina Levitska. In her most famous book, A Short History of Tractors in Ukrainian, as well as in her other books, it's the language they use which define the characters. In We Are All Made of Glue... You don't really need to know that Mrs Shapiro comes from Germany when you read the dialogue, while Levitska develops new spelling to reflect the accent.
3: Is all the rubbish belonging previous inhabitants was
4: some type of religious person living here before? Orthodox or Catholic? I don't know. I was very greatly influenced by Salman Rushdie and Midnight's Children because I thought, gosh, you know, you can do that. And it's not grammatical, but it's fun. And that's what, in a way, what gave me the confidence to to do the same with my Ukrainian language heritage. One of the things about having English not as a second language, but as a, as another language, as an alternative language, is that you're not terribly respectful of it. You can, you've grown up with people who speak it in very many different ways, who abuse it and misuse it and play with it and chop it about and, you know, take English words and add Russian endings onto them. And so I feel very free and easy doing that. And that's something I've noticed with other writers for whom English wasn't their first spoken language, that they're much less respectful of it. And I feel very relaxed about turning verbs into nouns, as my parents did, and and that sort of thing.
0: And according to Marina Levitska, maybe it's because of this freedom of speakers to make English work for them, that in the 21st century, English has become not a global language, but the global language.
4: And English is wonderful because it's so flexible and plastic and... It has a very, very rich vocabulary but a very simple grammar and it's that combination which makes it really the perfect world language so you can be as good at it or as bad at it as you like.
3: I just use what language fits what I've got to do and, and English is the most wonderfully sort of large language um, and allows you to play with it in terms of dialects the way people you know certainly sentence construction in Caribbean, English is is different to standard English and things like that and, and I enjoy that I can do that now and I think when I was sort of at school and that sort of growing up and thinking of that literature I can almost see my teaching saying, well, Caribbean English isn't right, they're not doing it right. Or, you know, my husband's from uh, the north of England and he wasn't allowed to have his regional accent because that wasn't proper. And I'm so pleased we're, we're well away from that sort of thinking.
0: Paul Muldoon has spent nearly three decades in the United States, time which, he agrees, makes him part of the Irish diaspora. But despite the physical distance he doesn't feel he is quite separated from his homeland and experiences the downside of that too in a kind of inertia or claustrophobia.
2: I feel that I've never really left home in that respect. It's not that I haven't moved on in some regards, but certainly if we associate uh, the availability of, I put very crudely, of uh, one's parents' grave... ...of the availability of one's sister's grave. They seem very close to me. Proximity. Proximity, I think, is very important. And something else, something quite banal, perhaps. I lived in Belfast until I was 35. And when I go back there, I recognise people on the street... ...even though I haven't lived there for more than 20 years. I run into people in coffee shops... So in some respect, very little has changed. And indeed, perhaps far too little has changed when one's still having the conversation one one had uh, 25 years ago.
0: So for Paul Muldoon, the memory of Ireland is not something he needs to draw on for his poetry. It is still very much part of him. For many migrant writers, however, whatever memory they might have of the home country may well have been touched with nostalgia perhaps diluted or sometimes even idealised. Neil Lazarus says that it's worth remembering that all personal memories tend to be selective.
1: One of the things that emerges in much writing of this kind, including in the set ones, is the relationship between private memory and official histories. In some way, whether those are dominant narratives or you know particular kinds of orders of things, where you know Zabalt is, is is obsessed with this, isn't he? With you can find it also in Ishiguro's uh, *Remains of the Day*, for instance. All of Ishiguro's work, where the memories of the past—they're all broken and often are quite partial. I mean, you know, Stevens is not an attractive character in *Remains* of the day for instance but there seems to be something there's a redemptive aspect to that process for
3: them. Memory plays a large function obviously but it's also very problematic with the Caribbean heritage in that with my parents they were very reluctant to Talk about their past and talk about that sort of family history, how black you are. Certainly from, you know, my parents were fairly light-skinned and that had some currency in the Caribbean. And so they grew up with a a sense of memory being quite a challenging and frightening thing. And um, I know that uh, I have an aunt and I keep asking, oh, can you tell me about this? And she really doesn't want to.
0: Andrea Levy, so, like Marina Levitska, as we heard earlier, Andrea Levy is delighted that cultural diversity, means standard English, is no longer privileged over and above the way other Englishes are spoken and written. Although she doesn't like to think about the way she writes, since if she did, she claims that, like walking, she wouldn't be able to do it, she does admit that her writing can challenge what is considered ing-lit.
3: If literature was still sort of saying, oh, you've got to do this and, you know, it's still a, a hidebound rule book, then, yes, it's challenging it in that I don't write standard English sometimes if I've got to write in a Caribbean dialect and I want to put over the way that people speak. But I don't think that we're in that place particularly anymore. so um, it's adding to it rather than challenging it.
0: The inherited definition of literature has been expanded by literatures in English from Ireland, Wales and Scotland, from the US and from other English-speaking settler societies and from former colonies. If in the past the notion of English literature was exclusive and excluding, the last 60 years or so have dramatically challenged this state of affairs, as literatures in English represent the complete opposite, enriching the language and celebrating diversity.
4: The Open University.
0: For more information, go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.